Be seated. Good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We appreciate so much the fact that you've chosen to be with us. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at the Midway Congregation. He promised before he left that he was coming back, and now it had been more than 30 years, and he had not come back yet. There was no sign of him coming. So naturally, some began to question, and others began to openly mock, and they began to say things like, well, you know, days are going by day after day, week after week, year after year, and nothing has changed since the very beginning of time. The sun comes up in the morning and sets in the evening and does the same thing over and over and over again. And so they began to talk and they began to, to, to cause others to doubt the fact that Jesus would be coming back. And so as they did that, we all understand that there are some things that needed to be talked about and needed to be discussed. And so Peter points out some things to them. Number one, he points out to them that uh, the Lord is not slow to uh, fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. You see, he points out the fact that, that God's slowness is not the, based on the fact that God looks at his time schedule based on man, but he bases his schedule on himself because verse 8 had said, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so in reality, on God's timetable, he's not slow. Uh, but what he is doing is he is waiting on folks and he is giving them an opportunity. And, and then we continue on and we look down in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief and then the heavens will be a, a pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are in it will be exposed. Since all these things, and something's wrong here with the, the way that it's showing on the screen, but since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? That's the question that he asked. That's the thing that he's really getting at. Not only was he rebuking those who were having a problem with the fact that Jesus had not come back, but he's talking to the rest of us and he's saying there are some things that you and I need to know, that we need to understand, that we need to remember as Christians. There are some things that we ought to be in our life. And so this morning what we want to do in the time that we have allotted is look at nine things that Peter says that we should be characterized by, that our life should be characterized by. And we'll talk about these in a little bit of, uh, not detail, but uh, just to mention these things and uh, to refresh our minds as to what should characterize the people, what kind of people we ought to be. Number one on our list this morning, as we think about the fact that uh, we are to, uh, to be characterized by things, the Bible teaches us that we should be characterized by holiness. Larry, I'm not clicking up there, so if you'll kick, uh, click me on. I don't know why things are not working. There we go. Our lives are to be characterized by holiness. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 at verse 3, as the angels are around God, they have three words that they say over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy. 
And we know in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that Peter writes and says that we are to be holy because God is holy. Our lives are to be characterized by holiness. But if I were to ask you this morning, what does it mean to be a person who is characterized by holiness, what would you say? How would you describe it? How would you define what it means for us as Christians to be characterized by holiness? Now, that's not a really hard concept to understand, and yet a lot of us don't really understand it. We don't grasp the nature of what God is saying that we should be. The word holiness simply means that we are to be set apart. It's the idea that, that we are to be separated from, th- uh, from some things. Our God Himself is separated from mankind. He is above mankind. His thoughts are above us. His actions are above us. Everything about Him is above us. And so He is separated and set apart. He is holy But the same thing should characterize our lives as well. And as as evidence of our reaction to Christ and our reception of Him and God's way into our lives, then we sometimes must change drastically in our lives. We have to be willing to be separated. In the book of Matthew, rather, chapter 16 at verse 24, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's not the way that the world reacts. That's not the way that the world lives. And so to separate ourselves from the world to follow after Christ would be a part of our holiness, to, to be his, his disciples rather. In the book of 1 John chapter 5 at verse number 19, The Bible says we know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? (coughs) Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We're to be characterized by holiness. That may mean that we must change friends. It may mean that we must uh, sometimes separate ourselves from family members. It it may mean that we must separate ourselves from religious bodies in the world. But what we want and what we understand is that God wants us to be characterized by that separateness, that holiness that He is characterized by. And so number one on our list then, our lives are to be characterized by by holiness. But in view of the fact that the earth will be burned up and that judgment will one day come, and by the way, let me just put in a, a plug for tonight. We are going to be talking about or answering the question, what will the judgment be like? And so be back tonight with us at, uh, at 5 o'clock as we begin a study of that. But in view of all of that, that's Peter's argument here. <clears throat> Not only should we be holy, But our lives are to be characterized by godliness, by godliness. Somebody might say, well, you know, as we think about godliness, isn't that related to holiness? Well, in a sense it is. If you continue reading there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, uh, we understand that he's talking about the, the holiness and the godliness that we're to have. But, but what, is, what does it mean to be 
to be godly. What is it that he's talking about here? <coughs> Excuse me. The word godliness means reverence, respect, piety towards God. In Vine's expository dictionary, he sort of helps us to understand it a little bit when he talks about how holiness, or rather godliness, means piety characterized by Godward attitude which does that which is pleasing to God. Godliness is the idea of we shape our lives to be doing the things and thinking the things and acting the ways that please God. That's what godliness is all about. And so, as you think about that, you know, when, when we become a Christian, our life is to be a life that pleases God. Uh, the New International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, It's character and conduct determined by the principle of love or reverence, fear of God in our heart. And, and so, we have that love, but that love and that that reverence for God moves us to do the things that are pleasing to Him. How many of you remember a man in the Old Testament by the name of Enoch? Now, I have a grandson who's named after that Enoch, but this Enoch was special in the Old Testament. What's one thing that's special about Enoch? <coughs> the thing that we remember about Enoch is that Enoch is only one of two men who did not suffer death as we know it, but was taken by God into heaven. He walked with God. He was not, for God took him, according to the book of Genesis, chapter number 5. And so, <coughs> why would God do that for Enoch? Well, the answer to that is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, at verse number 5, in the New Testament. God chose to, to let us have just a glimpse of why he would do what he did with Enoch. The Bible says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. <coughs> Excuse me. But now, before he was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. You see, Enoch was a godly man. He, his life was characterized by godliness. Godliness means that we have a very practical awareness of God in every aspect of our life. Whatever it is we're doing, we think about God. How does God want me to handle this? How does, how does God want me to answer a person? How does God want me to do this or that in my life? It, <coughs> would God want me to go here? Would God want me to, uh, uh, to whatever? You know, everything about our life must be characterized by our, by our love for God and our respect for God so that we want to live our life so that we please God. We begin to learn how to look at every aspect of our life through this perspective, and when we do, we become godly people. We need to focus our thoughts on things that please Him. Actions alone are not godliness. Morality alone is not godliness. There are many folks in our world, even atheists, who don't steal or kill or or, or do all of those kinds of things, but that does, does not mean that they're 
a godly person. It's when we seek to please our God. (coughs) So number one, our life is to be characterized by holiness. Number two, our life is to be characterized by godliness. But then number three, I want you to look at verse number 12 of 2 Corinthians, or 2 Peter rather, chapter 3 at verse number 12. Continuing on, he talks about the fact that our life should be characterized by a longing for the return of our Lord. A longing for the return of our Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away and burn. Look at those words, waiting for. What does it mean, waiting for? The term means expectantly looking for. Expectantly looking for. Now, a couple of times where this was used... Uh, Peter and John said to a lame man, look at us, back in Acts chapter 3 at verse number 5. And and, and verse number 5 says that (coughs) this lame man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. You, You see, he was laid there, he was a beggar, if you will, and when Peter and John says, look at us, he was expecting to get something from them. That's what Peter says that we're to do in regard to the coming of the Lord. Expectantly looking for. Uh, In Acts chapter 28, verse 6, Paul was bitten by a very deadly snake. And the Bible says that uh, they uh, uh, were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Translated waiting for here, but they're looking, you know, they're wanting to know, when is that snake bite going to kill him? And, and they're thinking just any minute he's going to drop over. They were expecting him to die. They were waiting for him to die. But not only does it say that we are to wait for, but we are to hasten. Hastening, he says there, King English Standard Translation of it, hastening the coming of the Lord. Not only are we waiting, but we're waiting eagerly. That's the idea, the concept behind hastening. We're waiting eagerly. In Luke chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. We talked about Zacchaeus in our adult class downstairs this morning. But as Jesus comes to that tree that Zacchaeus had climbed, the Bible says, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That's the hastening that is being spoken about in the book of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12. To hurry it along. It can't get here fast enough. I'm expecting it to come, but it can't get here fast enough for me. Peter says that's a characteristic of our life. In Acts chapter 20 at verse 16, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to Jerusalem, to be at Jerusalem if possible, on the day of Pentecost. 
Not the one we read about in Acts chapter 2, but a later one. But he says he was, he was in a hurry. He was hastening. He was hurrying up. He, he cut off one of his stops so that he would hurry up and get to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost came. The idea that we're looking for the coming of the Lord, not just expect, expecting it, but we're wanting it to get here. It just can't get here quick enough. Now, the, the best illustration <clears throat> that I could think of in regard to the concept that Peter is trying to get, us, get across to us it is a child... Waiting for Christmas. You know, they expect it to get here. You know it's coming. Everybody talks about it. But it can't get here fast enough for them to open up their presents. And especially if they think they know what they're getting, besides a bag of switches or, you know, some coal or something like that, it just can't get there fast enough. And that's what Peter says our attitude toward the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord, needs to be like. Let me ask you a question. How many of us really are looking at it from that perspective? Are we dreading it? Or are we longing for it? The Bible says that we're to long for it. But not only that, number four, our lives should be characterized by our best effort to be found without spot or blemish. By our best effort. Look at verse 14, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. That's the idea of giving that effort. We're giving our effort to be without spot or blemish. Uh, how do we do that? Well, number one, we have our sins washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. When Ananias came to Saul, he said, And why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so we have to get rid of those spots and blemishes to begin with. And for those who are Christians, those who have been baptized into Christ, the blood of Christ has washed those sins away. That doesn't mean that we can never sin again, does it? Uh, we all do. We, we know that we do. If we say that we don't, we make God a liar, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, chapter number 1. But he also says in verse number uh, 7 of 1 John, chapter 1, if we walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The point that Peter makes is that we're to give diligence, we're to do our, give our best effort to be found without spot or blemish. We do that by becoming a Christian and having our sins washed away. But because we're not perfect and we still make mistakes, we make wrong choices, we say wrong things, we do wrong things, we still have a, a way of being cleansed. But that doesn't mean that we just go out and do things the way we want to and don't worry about it. 
John says we're characterized by walking in the light. Like he's in the light. We give our diligent effort, our best effort to stay in the light. And when we do that, what happens? The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. And so we need to be reminded of that from time to time. And not be worrisome in our mind, not be worrisome in the things that we have, that we think about. Our lives should be characterized by our best effort to be found without spot or blemish. But you know what? In verse 14, Peter wasn't finished without being found without spot or blemish. Our lives should also be characterized by our best effort to be found at peace. At peace. If I'm worried about my life every day, whether, whether I've sinned and I'm about to be lost, I'm not at peace. When we think about peace, Matthew Henry says, Peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it except truth. Peace. Peace in your life. <clears throat> we need peace in three very prominent areas in our life. Number one, we need peace with God, don't we? Jesus came to make that peace possible. Number two, we would like to have peace with our fellow man, would we not? And again, as much as lies within us, we are to live at peace. Sometimes it's impossible for us to do that because others will not let us live at peace with them. But that doesn't mean we stop striving to do that. And then number three, we need peace with ourselves which seems to, to be the emphasis in this text, that we ourselves are to have peace. You know what? Our life shouldn't be characterized by all the drama. The drama, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the drama. I, I, I don't know the specific examples. I don't even have to give them because you know what we're talking about when we talk about the drama that you may have in your life. You know those times when you just get so angry at somebody because they did this or that or, 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 or they just keep on doing these things. Our life should not be characterized by that, but rather characterized by peace. And I want to leave you a thought this morning in regard to that peace. Look at John, or yeah, John chapter 14, verse 27. And I want you to notice... Not the last thing that Jesus said, but one of the last things that he said to his apostles on the night before his crucifixion. John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. How do you think Jesus is going to react when he returns if he has, finds that we have lost that peace that he left for us? You know, 
We didn't get to it in our Bible class downstairs. We read about it a little bit on Wednesday night up here in the, in the adult class in the auditorium. But there was a, a, a master who went into a foreign country to receive his kingdom and he left some minus, some, some, some money, with ten of his servants. And the first one took one mina and he made ten additional. The second one came around. He said, I brought you five. Gets on down. Another one comes up and he says, well, you know what? I hid your, your money. And that master wasn't real pleased. What do you think Jesus is going to think if we've lost the peace that he came to give us? Our lives should be characterized by peace. Our lives should also be characterized by an understanding that God's patience affords time for salvation. Some take God's delay in sending Jesus back as a sign that He's soft on sin. Others think that they seem to think at least that they can take God's delay to procrastinate in their obedience to God and to living for Him. Peter says he is just patiently giving time for all who will to come to him. That's what his idea is. His patience. He's wanting everyone to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse number 9. But we should not count his patience, his delay as something that gives us authority for anything else other than to hasten the day expectantly wait on His coming. And if we make a mistake or we know others who are not living right, we use that time and we use it wisely. Paul would write it this way in Romans chapter 2 at verse number 4. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance what are you waiting for? God is giving the time, but God's patience will run out. And you know in first, second Peter, rather, or first Peter chapter three at verse 20, it ran out with the people on Noah's day, in Noah's day. He gave them 120 years. And there finally came the day when, Jesus, when God said to Noah, "Get in the ark." God shut the door, and it began to rain. Next. Our lives should be characterized by our guarding against being caught up in error. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Have you ever known a strong brother, a good gospel preacher, a great elder, a faithful sister in Christ who has become entangled in error and gone astray. I have. I've known them. Peter says we need to be careful so that we don't get caught up in those things. You know, even Peter and Barnabas got caught up in the Jewish heresy that we read about in the book of Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Both of them were great men. Men who've served as preachers or elders or faithful ladies in the church or even faithful Christians, they're not immune. 
How many of you recognize the name Benedict Arnold? You know, when I was in school, that was one of the lessons we learned in American history. I don't know if they still talk about Benedict Arnold uh, in American history anymore or not, but Benedict Arnold was one of the, the great uh, uh, leaders <clears throat> at the beginning of our nation who chose to even uh, betray his own people. And now we know his name is synonymous with treason. The point is, we don't need to be Benedict Arnold Christians turning away from our own God. Don't get caught up in there. Next, our lives are to be characterized by growth in grace and knowledge. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. This kind of growth is the key to remaining faithful. If you ever stop growing, you start shrinking, someone has said. The idea is that we must keep growing in these things. Knowledge of the truth is how Jesus withstood the temptations of Satan, is it not? For he quoted the verses from God's Word. When we grow in God's grace, we grow in His approval and His favor. It pleases God when we increase in faith. And love. It pleases God when we increase in hope. It pleases God when we grow in humility and other things. We are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. And then number nine, our lives should be characterized by glorifying God. Second Peter 3.18, again, the end of that verse, To Him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. To glorify God is to honor and exalt Him. He is praiseworthy. To praise extravagantly. To extol Him. In John chapter 17, at verse 4, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. I guess my question would be, how is it that we glorify God? Well, it's not just by our words. We can and we should praise God with our words. But Jesus himself said that we glorify God by doing the things that he tells us to do. In the book of John chapter 15 at verse 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And again, in Hebrews chapter 6, at verses 4 through 6, the Bible says that it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened to have and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again to the son, the son of God, to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. Our life is either one that is actively glorifying God or actively crucifying Christ. I don't want mine to be on this side. I want mine to be glorifying God. 
As we bring our lesson to a close, the question again was, what sort of people ought you to be? I think that word ought is important. That word means behooved to meet, to be necessary, must. There are two uses of the word that I'll share with you. There are others that are found in the word of God. But in John 3 verse 14, the Bible says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, or as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It was necessary for Jesus to be crucified. That's the same word translated ought. In the book of John, chapter 3, at verse 7, Jesus said to Nicodemus when he came to him, he said, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. That's the same word. You see, Peter's not saying that uh, our lives should be characterized by these things, that it would be good for them to be characterized by these things that we've talked about. He's not saying that, well, you know, if if you can or if you think about it or if you have time, your life should be characterized by these things. Peter says our lives must be characterized by these things. Each one of us this morning needs to apply for 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, to our own life. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of person are you? Am I? In regard to holiness. What sort of person are you in regard to godliness? What sort of person are you in regard to the return, hastening and longing for the return of our Lord? What sort of person are you in making your best effort not to be found spotless or spot to be found spotless and without blemish? What sort of person are you in regard to peace in your life? What sort of person are you in making use of God's patience in regard to your salvation? What sort of person are you in guarding against Error. What sort of person are you in your growth of grace and the knowledge of our Lord? What sort of person are you in glorifying God in your life? Again, it's not, I wish you were, or you think you might, or Peter says, what sort of persons really must we be, must we be, in light of the fact that one day Jesus is coming back, this old world and the heavenly bodies that we see will all be destroyed. 
And when that happens, we will stand before Him in judgment. What sort of person are you this morning in regard to those things? You need to work on it. I hope you will. If you need forgiveness and the prayers of the church, or if we can assist you in any way, we're here. We'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. It may be that you need to you need to get rid of the sins in your life. Have them washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. To be baptized for the remission of your sins today. We're here for you. If you need to come, why don't you do it right now as we stand?